Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Beautiful time of worship. Today is part three in our series entitled The Songs of Christmas. We've already read the Shepherd's Song of Peace and Mary's Song of Trust. And today we're going to read and examine Simeon's Song of Hope. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that hope came down. We thank you for our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have sent us, who is our helper, the one who walks alongside of us, who is our teacher. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit today that you would speak through your servant, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth, your eternal truths that are embedded in this song of Simeon's. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'll begin by sharing a brief background to the context where today's text sits. We see Mary in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. We see Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus as a young baby boy, perhaps roughly six weeks of age, to be dedicated. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 says, they brought him, they brought Jesus, Mary and Joseph, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As they walked to the temple, there would have been places for ceremonial cleansing and washing and, and bathing. This is a powerful picture, a beautiful picture of the atoning work that Jesus would accomplish on the cross. The baby born was not born to stay a baby in the cradle. There was a specific purpose um, by God for this Christ child. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, he, Jesus, saved us not on the basis of deeds, good works, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Jesus would go from the cradle to the cross, and there on the cross, Jesus would cleanse us from all unrighteousness and wash away our sins. I'm so grateful for our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Amen, church? And so Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus to the temple. If you talk to any Jews of that day, they would talk not about going to Jerusalem, but ascending to Jerusalem, a city on a hill. Jesus referred to Jerusalem, a city on a hill, in his Sermon on the Mount when he told the crowd of Jewish listeners in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city that is set 
on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus shared this with a crowd of Jewish listeners. We can understand why there's so much trouble in this city called Jerusalem. It was to be the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. They would also talk not about going to the temple, but ascending to the temple. And as they would ascend to the temple, it was a picture of them journeying toward God. And as they were physically climbing the steps to the temple, spiritually, it was expected that they would lift up their voices in song, singing out in praise and adoration and thanksgiving to God. And as you read the Psalms in the Old Testament, you'll read the Psalms of Ascent. They're beautiful Psalms. The Psalms of Ascent, they begin in Psalms chapter 120 um, and go through chapter 134. They were sung by worshipers as they made the journey up to Jerusalem for the annual feast. And these songs encouraged um, the Jewish people's faith as they drew near the presence of God. The temple in the Old Testament represented God's presence on earth. And here's just a small sampling of the lyrics to the songs of ascent. Psalms 120. In my distress, I cried to the Lord and he heard me. Psalms 121, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. Psalms 122, peace be within you. Just a small sampling of these songs of ascent. The Christian life, for all of us, the Christian life is a climb. A journey of constant growth, constant sacrifice, and hoping and trusting God for what we cannot see. When we sing out in songs of praise, when we sing out in songs of adoration and thanksgiving to God, we are filled with hope and our faith is encouraged on the journey because the journey is not an easy journey. I think we all would agree that this journey, this walk of faith, is not easy. And so here in our text, Mary and Joseph with baby Jesus journey up to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. Now, to put Mary and Joseph's trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem in perspective, the trip was about 140 miles long. Can you imagine 140 miles? They didn't have automobiles like we do today or trains, or airplanes. This would have taken them roughly about a week. They traveled over rough terrain in the heat of the day on some dangerous roads where it was not uncommon for people to be robbed and most likely set up camp somewhere along the way to sleep um, for the night. They didn't have the Holiday Inn. They didn't have the Hampton Inn. They didn't have the Marriott like we do today. Church... I was thinking about this the other day. We have it good. We have it really, really, really good. We do. We have so many comforts, don't we? And sometimes those comforts become idols. 
and keep us from the presence of God, the house of the Lord. I just felt very challenged and convicted personally just reading through the Gospel of Luke and the the Christmas story and the different songs we see in the Gospel of Luke. It took some real serious commitment for Mary and Joseph to go up to the house of the Lord, the temple, the church, to worship. Really serious commitment. And this is a couple who greatly loves God. They're devoted to the God of the scriptures. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ is born, they do according to the custom of the law of the Old Testament and they bring Jesus to the temple for his dedication. This is the first, this is Jesus' first time being brought up to the temple and it's very significant as we'll see. A man named Simeon is introduced to us. This is the only time Simeon is mentioned in the Bible. This is his one verse biography. It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Bible says Simeon was righteous and deeply committed to his faith. And that the Holy Spirit was upon him. I was thinking the other day as I was reading through Simeon's song, there's so many different directions you could go with this song. There's just so much depth. There's just so much truth. And I was, as I was thinking the other day, if I were to be mentioned in the Bible, what would be said about me? What would be said about Pat Medeiros? What would be said about you? Simeon's one verse biography says he, he was righteous. Deeply devoted and full of the Holy Spirit. I I wonder what would be said about me. What would be said about you? Simeon, for his whole life, had been anticipating the coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ. And such anticipation, church, influences how you live your life. It, It truly influenced Simeon's life. He lived at each day as though this would be the day. He had never lost hope. Biblical hope is confident expectation of a guaranteed result. And Simeon had never lost hope. Biblical hope, if you're taking notes, is confident expectation of a guaranteed result. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It is not rooted in probability, but in God's promise and power. It is not filled with speculation, but filled with security in the eternal truths of God's word, his promise. The hope of Simeon displayed um, was not blind hope, like I hope this blind date goes well. How many has ever gone on a blind date? You were hoping that that blind date would go how many married that blind date whoa look at the hands you just ruined my point (laughs) blind hope is wishful thinking i'm hoping i get the job i'm hoping she loves me and says yes 
I'm hoping this investment does well. You see, before the fall, Adam and Eve lived life with hope in the Lord. They lived in confident expectation of a guaranteed result. God would provide. They hoped in God for everything. But after the fall, people have misplaced hope. Hope is placed in employment. Hope is placed in investments. Hope is placed in in relationships. Not all bad places, but they let us down and and leave us disappointed. And when they let us down and, and leave us disappointed, we lose hope. The truth is, we are self destructive beings when we lose hope. Hope to the soul is like oxygen to the body. We need it to live, we need hope to live. Many of us know that the suicide rate is on the rise throughout the the U.S. And there's a growing sense of hopelessness that is sweeping over our country. From 1999 to 2016, the state of New York has seen a 28% increase. 28% increase. Some states like New Hampshire and Vermont have seen a 48% Increase. Can you imagine? I was reading through this list of, of percentages uh, for our whole country, and it just saddens my heart. And maybe you're here today and you're overwhelmed by feelings of hopelessness. You're battling suicidal thoughts. Please believe when I say there is hope. There is hope. I really sensed in my time of prayer and study and preparation for today's message, even this morning as I came here early and in prayer and study, just sensed the Holy Spirit ministering to me to share, to share this truth. There is hope. There is hope for those who are overwhelmed with feelings of of hopelessness, even though your feelings are shouting at you, there isn't, there isn't, there isn't, there isn't any hope. Faith in God shouts back much louder. There is, there is, there is. Can we say it together, church? There is, there is, there is. Christmas is that moment in history when hope entered the world and I'm so grateful and thankful that hope entered the world on that first Christmas night. Your life matters. Your life matters. Your life has great value. Your your life has has great purpose. Great purpose. There are two things we don't want to miss in our text. Number one, Simeon hoped in God's promises. Look at verses 25 through 27. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple. Simeon, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
oh, I'm so challenged by his life. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the Christ child to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. Simeon hoped in God's promises. This book the Bible is God's perfect world to you and me filled with hundreds of promises Simeon hoped in God's promises number two Simeon hoped in God's provision look at verses 28 through 32 He took him up in his arms and and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon's song revels in God's gift, in God's gift of of hope, God's gift of, of comfort, God's gift of consolation. He'd been told that he would see it, but there is a difference between joyful expectation and the arrival of that for which one has hoped and waited for. The Lord had revealed to Simeon he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he was waiting, waiting for the one whose coming meant the consolation of Israel. Every waking moment of his life, he was waiting. He was anticipating. How many trips did he take to the temple? How many baby dedications did he attend? Is this the one? Is this the one? Oh, maybe, maybe it's this one. How many hundreds upon thousands of of baby dedications did he witness anticipating this might be the one? One can only imagine. Consolation means messianic hope and comfort. It's the one God had promised would come. When he spoke to Isaiah 700 years before, saying in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry, cry to her, cry to Jerusalem that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Cry to her, cry to Jerusalem, cry to Jerusalem. One of the traditional Jewish prayers is, may I see the consolation of Israel. May I see the consolation of Israel. That prayer was answered for Simeon when he saw Jesus Christ in the temple. Seeing baby Jesus, he knew that his wait was over. The Holy Spirit of God revealed this is the Christ child. This is the consolation of Israel. Israel. This is the consolation of the whole world. This is the hope and comfort you've been waiting for. Isaiah prophesied saying, cry, cry to her, cry to Jerusalem that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. In other words, make it known to her, make it known to Jerusalem that there is messianic hope 
in comfort. She doesn't have to live in a state of hopelessness any longer. Available to her, available to Jerusalem, available to my people is heaven's hope, heaven's comfort on earth. And church, available to you, available to me is heaven's hope. Available to you, available to me is heaven's comfort on earth. And we live in a broken world. A broken world. Where it's easy to be overwhelmed with feelings of hopelessness. We live in a broken world and we're no stranger to pain. No stranger to conflict. We all need hope. We all need comfort. And 700 years before the Christ child was born, Isaiah prophesied saying, cry to her, cry to Jerusalem that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Simeon was a man led by the Holy Spirit of God, taught by the word of God, and obedient to the will of God and was privileged to see the salvation of God. And in his song of hope, he sings in verses 29 and 30, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. The word there is shalom, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Oh, how important it is for people to see God's salvation to see Jesus Christ before they see death. Simeon's song is a song of hope, but it's also a a salvation hymn. Simeon proclaims in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I want to ask you a personal question. Have the spiritual eyes of your heart Have the spiritual eyes of your soul been opened? Have you seen the Savior who is Christ the Lord? God desires that none, that none would remain lost, that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And receive by faith the gift of eternal life that's offered through his son, our savior, who is Christ the Lord. Have your spiritual eyes been open in your heart, in your soul? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't open them. The Holy Spirit opens them. But we can close them. But God in his grace and God in his mercy, God in his faithfulness, God in his desire that none would perish, he sends the Holy Spirit to open your eyes again. To open the eyes of your heart, to open the eyes of your soul. Because he loves you. And nothing proves his love more than when he left heaven, the beauty and perfection of heaven, and he entered into this broken world. He took on human flesh. In pursuit of you. 
in pursuit of me. Incredible. Incredible. Do you have the peace spoken of in Simeon's song? A peace that gives you inner confidence that by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything between you and God has been made right. Do you have the assurance that if you were to leave this building today and you took your last breath, do you have the confidence, do you have the assurance, do you have the hope, do you have the comfort that you would be in the presence of the Lord? You can. You can. That's why Jesus came. He came to give you that hope. He came to give you that comfort. He came to give you that assurance. By faith, by faith, receive the gift, the gracious gift of God, the gift of his son, our savior, who is Christ the Lord. Can we praise him, church? He's worthy to be praised, worthy to be praised. Church, Simeon's song is also a missionary hymn. Not only is it a song of hope, not only is it a salvation hymn, it's a missionary hymn. He sees this great salvation going out to not only the Jews, but the Gentiles too. Look at verses 31 and 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You remember that moment in your life when your eyes for the very first time saw the salvation of the Lord? How many remember that moment when your eyes opened up, the Holy Spirit opened up the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your soul, and for the very first time, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I remember, I remember a little boy on a Wednesday night sitting beside my mother and my grandmother, Madeiras, in a country church. I remember the eyes, my spiritual eyes, the eyes of my heart, the eyes of my soul opened wide and an invitation was, was extended to receive God's gift of his son. And I remember as a boy, a 10-year-old boy, standing up all by myself, walking in front of my mother and getting out into the aisle. And I ran down the aisle I gave my heart to Jesus. I received by faith. It was the very first time that my eyes, my heart, my soul were open to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I experienced that night personally the salvation of our wonderful Savior, our wonderful Lord. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon's song is also a missionary song. You see, the consolation of Israel was not only for Israel. 
Heaven's hope, heaven's comfort wasn't just for Israel, wasn't just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles too. You and me, I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile, but as a 10-year-old boy, my eyes were opened up to this glorious truth and by faith I received the gift of God's Son. Consolation, not only for Israel, but for Pat Medeiros' soul. And since 10 years old, since 10 years old, I've, I've grown up and I've lived with, with the consolation of heaven, the, the hope, the comfort, the peace of Almighty God. And you can too. Then Simeon stopped praising as you read through his song. He stopped praising and started prophesying. Look at verses 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many, that the thoughts of many, Hearts may be revealed. That the thoughts of of many hearts may be revealed. If you highlight your Bible, if you underline in your Bible, highlight, highlight this amazing truth. Underline this amazing truth. Mark it on your phone app. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Just as certainly as Jesus' arrival meant the coming of messianic hope and comfort for God's people, Simeon also understood that Jesus' arrival meant not only hope and comfort, but division and conflict. Painful conflict at that. This is a difficult truth to embrace. Who wants to embrace such difficult truth during the season of Christmas? Regarding division that Simeon prophesies about, this would be evident in the way that Peter repented and Judas despaired. When Jesus hung on the cross, there were two thieves, one on his right and one on his left. One thief believed, the other blasphemed and rejected Jesus. When Jesus judges the nations, he says that he will divide the sheep. Those who obey from the goats, those who who disobey. Matthew chapter 25, verses 32 through 34. And then verse 41, this is what Jesus says. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. The nations speak of people, of people. Nations are made up of people. All the nations will be gathered before him. Every tribe, tongue, and and, and people group. Nation. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand. But the goats on the left and the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Ooh. Mm. 
hard truths to embrace. What camp would you put yourself in? Would you put yourself in the sheep camp or the, or the goat camp? Or maybe the, the right question is, what group would, would God put you in? The sheep camp or the goat camp? Because our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all else. Simeon also prophesies that the child will be a sign. These are difficult truths to embrace. But they're important truths or they wouldn't be in God's book for us. Today we live in a, in a world, especially in the Western world, where the full counsel of God's word is not being preached. The full counsel of God's word is not being preached. It's a message of comfort, a message of ease. A message of entitlement. Services are planned to give you warm fuzzies, to make you feel good about yourself. And yes, God wants to build us up. Yes, God wants to encourage us. Yes, God wants to edify us and fill us with his joy. His peace. But his joy and peace is offered differently and defined differently than the world's. Simeon also prophesies that the child will will be a sign, a sign literally translated in the Greek, a target that people shoot at. We're seeing this more and more in America, those who are following Christ. Jesus would be the target of slanderous lies and great evil. This Christ child in the cradle he would be the target of slanderous lies and, and great evil. And Simeon prophesied to Mary and Joseph. Jesus Christ is, is God's sign, pointing to God's love, pointing to God's truth, pointing to God's grace. And yet some admired him and others viciously attacked him. Regarding conflict and, and painful conflict, it was important for Mary to know that mothering the Messiah would not be all sweetness and ease. It was both a great privilege and a great burden. The image of the sword spoke of the suffering, spoke of the sorrow, spoke of the pain Mary would go through as the mother, the Savior, the suffering servant who would die a cruel, brutal death on the cross. What Simeon understands is that Jesus revealed to reveal. He understood that Jesus was revealed to the world to reveal. He reveals our hearts because when we encounter Jesus, he always draws out a response from us. Always a response. It can be a positive response. It could be a negative response. 
What's important to understand here is that what is being revealed isn't so much the fact that we have sinful hearts. Jesus already knows what's in our hearts. That alone isn't what's being revealed. According to verse 35, it it reads like this, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It's not so much what is true about our hearts that is revealed, but what we think about our hearts that's being revealed at the appearing of Christ, the consolation of heaven. Our perception of our true selves, what we think about ourselves, this is what is being revealed when we encounter Christ. We have one perception of ourselves, but God has another. One is based on scriptural truth and the other is based on self-assessment. For some, their encounter with Jesus is humbling and a blessed experience because they understand themselves to be broken sinners and to the broken sinners, Jesus reveals himself as the gentle savior and comforter inviting them, saying, come to me in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 33. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many want that rest? How many want that rest? How many need that rest right now? Jesus has come. Jesus says, come, come and experience the consolation that has been provided. The hope, the comfort is found only in me. But for for others, however, their encounter with Jesus is hostile. Hostile because he challenges their self-perception, calling their self-assessment deeply wrong. Deeply wrong. Because the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all else. Can we give a true assessment of ourselves? I know that Pat Medeiros can't. But God always gives a perfect assessment of me. As his child, who is deeply loved, and nothing can separate me from his love, and also as one who can stray away, who needs to be brought back in to the fold. What is striking in the Gospels? is that the opposition to Jesus didn't come primarily from Gentiles. Jesus' primary opposition came from the religious people of his day. They trusted in their goodness under the law, under the law of Moses. That was their true assessment of themselves, but it was, it was faulty. It was faulty. So many man-made laws. Possible to keep, but they were so full of themselves, so full of pride. No one's like that here, right? Nobody, right? Nobody. The chief priests and the scribes wanted to put Jesus to death. 
And so instead of humbling themselves and asking for Jesus to do the saving work in their lives that he came to do, they opposed Jesus and began plotting a way to silence him forever because they were blinded by their own self-assessment of how good they were. They didn't see their need for Jesus who came to save them. They opposed Jesus and began plotting a way to silence him forever. These religious folks are perfect examples of the ghost. They have a form of godliness, but but no spiritual fruit. They deny the power of God that transforms a life from the inside out. Jesus said in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verse 44, each tree is known by its fruit. Good or bad, it all flows out of the heart. What does it say about my heart if, if he offers, if, if God offers, if, if Jesus offers to save me, and I say, nah, no, Jesus. The Holy Spirit opens my, my eyes, my spiritual eyes. No, Jesus, I've got this. I've shared this good news with people and and basically that's been their response because anytime Jesus reveals the true condition of your heart, it warrants a response. And I've I've, I've had those, (laughs) I got this. I got this. (laughs) That's man's biggest problem. He thinks he's his savior. How sad. There's only one savior. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Church, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You know, when we say, no, 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 Jesus, I've got this. It says my heart is opposed to him and that I trust in my own self-assessment of me, what I think of myself, but not what God's word reveals about me. I don't see my brokenness. I don't see my need for Jesus. Even after we're saved, we must be careful of our own self-assessment, what we think of ourselves. If it's not based on God's truth, what we think of ourselves can prevent us from growing and becoming more like Christ. Instead of living a victorious Christian life, we can live a life of defeat, imprisoned, by guilt and condemnation. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. In the Gospel of Luke, there are two kinds of people. The question that echoes throughout Luke's Gospel is, which one are you? Which one are you? I was faced with this question throughout my, my, my preparation for this Christmas series. Which one are you? It's, a, it's an important question because Jesus came in, in, a, in the cradle, as Simeon understood to cause the proud to fall according to his prophecy and the humble to be raised up through his work of salvation on the cross. It's an important question because consolation, hope, and comfort has come in Jesus Christ. But that consolation, hope, and comfort can be refused. We can close our eyes to the truth. We can refuse the consolation of heaven. We can refuse the hope of heaven. We can refuse the comfort of heaven. Nothing breaks the heart of God more when those that he loves made in his image refuse, refuse his 
consolation. Refuse his hope. Refuse his comfort. Nothing hurts his heart more because he loves you, the Bible says, with an everlasting love. But if it isn't refused, it means, number one, embracing the scripture, the truth about yourself in the scripture. In dealing with the conflict, the painful conflict of having our true selves revealed. It's a pain we must embrace because when Jesus reveals what we think of ourselves, our rebellion, our wrong desires, our good desires that we turn into idols. Serving in his name can become an idol. Giving food to the hungry can become an idol. When Jesus shows our true selves, we have to agree with him. If we embrace the scripture and agreeing with Jesus' assessment can hurt, but it's a hurt that heals. It feels like death to admit our, our own thinking, our own desires are wrong. Remember happy days, Fonzie? Uh, I, I was wrong. How many remember Fonzie? I'm aging myself a little bit here. Uh, he just couldn't get that out. But we're no different than Fonzie. This place is filled with Fonzies. Come on, church. And honestly, it is a death, the death to self. It feels like death to admit our own thinking, our own desires are wrong because it is a death, the death to self. Jesus said in Luke's gospel, chapter nine, verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Other translations say die to himself and take up his cross daily. It's a daily walk and follow me. We get to follow Jesus. And church, when a, when, a, when a disciple followed their rabbi, they followed so close that the dust created by following their rabbi was all over the rabbi's student. <laughs> we get to follow Jesus. We get to have the, the dust of Jesus' feet all over us because we are following closely behind our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Can we praise him, church? He's worthy, worthy to be praised. I love Christmas. I love the Christ in Christmas. I love the Christ in Christmas, and I know you do too. But that painful death to self is the way to a full life in Christ. In Christ. Next, embracing God's consolation, hope, and comfort means embracing the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And sometimes it's easy to embrace the gift, but forget to embrace the giver. Hmm. We can get so excited about a Christmas gift we're going to give or a Christmas gift we're going to receive or wishful thinking we're going to receive. 
that we forget that this season is all about embracing the gift sent from heaven. Luke one twenty eight says, Simeon, hundreds of times, thousands of times, oh, this could, is this the one? Is this the baby? Oh, is it this dedication? Oh, she's so cute. Oh, he's, he's so handsome. He was led by the Spirit into the temple to the consolation of Israel. He didn't question whether or not this was the one. He went right over to Mary and Joseph and he took baby Jesus and embraced baby Jesus. The scripture says he took him up in his arms. Have you embraced the Savior? Like Simeon, have you taken him up into your arms? And number three, as I close, embracing God's consolation and hope and comfort means embracing the salvation. The salvation. Not just any salvation. I could have put on your outline embracing salvation. Oh, but there's all kinds of false salvations being offered today. No, I purposely, on your outline, wrote it just the way it is. Embracing the salvation. There is only one salvation Jesus has accomplished for us. I'm talking about embracing the full salvation he has accomplished for us through his death and resurrection. The salvation Jesus offers includes the forgiveness of sins. But not just the forgiveness of sins. It also offers deliverance from the wrath of God. You and I have been delivered from the justice of God. Our sins, our unrighteousness needed to be paid for. God is a just God. The word Savior means deliverer. Not only are we forgiven, not only does Christ offer forgiveness, but he offers deliverance from the wrath of God, the justice of God. Jesus paid. He paid it for us. The, 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 the salvation, the full salvation of Jesus also includes the righteousness of Christ being imputed to us. Reconciliation of our relationship with God. The presence of the Holy Spirit being poured out into our hearts. Hope and comfort found in Christ. And the list goes on and on and on. Do we embrace the full salvation that God offers. Oftentimes we embrace the forgiveness part. That's the starting point and the ending point. And we don't embrace the full salvation of God that's graciously offered to us. My friends, as we continue to celebrate Greece, um, Christmas here at Greece Assembly, as you continue to celebrate Christmas in your homes, in your families, in your workplaces. When we embrace Christ himself, we embrace hope and comfort. His strength to endure on this side of heaven as we wait 
for the second coming of Christ, just like Simeon waited for the first coming of Christ. We are anticipating, we are waiting for the second coming of Christ. How many are waiting for the second coming of Christ? I remember as a little boy, my mother's from Virginia and we would take trips there a couple times a year, every other Christmas. And I remember my grandfather wasn't um, doing well and my father brought my mother to Virginia to be there to help my grandmother and, and I rode with him. And we dropped my mother off there in Virginia and my father and I made the trip back home to Massachusetts. And I remember as a, as a 12-year-old boy, 13-year-old boy, I remember sharing with my father on this ride. I says, Dad, I'll never, never make this drive myself because I'll never get my license because Jesus is going to come back. The second coming of Christ is going to happen before I have the chance to get my license and, and make this trip on my own. And I remember thinking, I'll never get married. I'll never have kids. I'll never have grandkids. Well, I've made that trip many, many times. I've gotten married, my beautiful bride. God's blessed us with four beautiful children, a beautiful granddaughter and a granddaughter to come or daughter-in-law, beautiful daughter-in-law, two beautiful granddaughters and a daughter-in-law to come in September of 2019. Praise him, church. Praise him. Amen. Oh, yeah. Hi, Grace. Welcome to the family. Oh, God bless her. All those things have happened. And so there's a real temptation to stop waiting. There's a real temptation to stop anticipating. And that's a real danger because we lose an urgency and it changes the way we live. Would you join me standing? How many here today? The Holy Spirit has opened your spiritual eyes for the very first time. Can we just bow our heads for just a moment? I'm asking everyone to pray. This is a very important moment in today's worship gathering. Maybe you're here today and for the very first time, the Holy Spirit has opened up your spiritual eyes, the spiritual eyes of your heart, the spiritual eyes of your soul. He's revealed the true you, but he's also revealed his truth to you how much he loves you and how he came to redeem you to save you to forgive you to restore you back to God and to fill you with all of heaven's goodness and you're here today and your eyes have been opened the Holy Spirit of God has opened your eyes and today by faith you want to receive God's gift God's Christmas gift to you it's the Christ in Christmas. That's God's gift to you. And by faith, you want to receive God's gift. God's gift. God's Christmas gift. God's Christ. Savior. Who's Christ the Lord. 
Would you raise your hands today? Is there one here today that would raise their hands? You can just put it up. And is there one here today? Anyone here today that would say, yes, pastor? Okay. I see that little hand back there. That hand is big to God. That's pretty awesome. Forbid not the little children to come unto me. That's precious. That's precious. Others here today. Gracious Father, it's not the raising of hands that save. It's the work that you did on the cross. And we have this little, this little child by faith has said yes and has received your gift the gift of your son the gift of your promise eternal life and I thank you for that child's faith and I pray as we continue to celebrate Christmas we all would be like this child we all would have childlike faith and put our complete trust and faith and hope and comfort in the one who has come heaven's consolation for each and every one of us you know where we are you know the storms of life the fears the doubts the battles the sin struggles oh may we all run to you by faith to the one who has come to give us hope who's come to give us comfort in the name of jesus we pray Amen. At the close of the service, Dad, if you don't mind coming forward and we have something we want to bless, we want to bless your child with. And Oh, precious, your son. I was trying to see that hand. Oh, how precious. Church, can we praise Jesus? Hey, we're a big family here at Greece Assembly.